Welcome, loyal listeners, to another episode of Brothers in Song, where we have yet to do an episode about brothers in songs. What do you, what do you think? Should we make that happen, Joe? Why not? Why not? You got some ideas <laughs> up your sleeves? <laughs> <laughs> you know, after I wrote my little joke, I was like, there aren't that many songs about brothers, to be honest. But anyway, <laughs> how are things with you? Uh, they're going pretty well, you know, uh, you know, just busy time of year for, for us and our family, but, um, you know, generally things are pretty good. How about you? Uh, yeah, think things are going real well for me. Um, you know, busy, busy as usual and, uh, folks who are, who are following our Instagram page know that I went to a show. That, well, that's what uh, I was going to ask you about recently. because I I couldn't make it out. I, I, I did have, you know, as suburban people do, I did have a little neighborhood get together that evening. But I want to ask you because you've talked about them so often because you went to, to the city to see Meshuggah, correct? That that is correct. Um, so how did and, that go? Uh, yeah, it was it was really fun. And even though I've been a, a music fan my whole life, I I didn't really go to all that many shows in, in my youth and like high school and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was great to get out and see Meshuggah, um, you know, one of the most influential metal bands over the past 20 years. Um, you know, the concert was great. Um, and they're just so cool because even though they make really heavy music, um, it's it's very intricate and kind of beautiful in its own way. And I just love how they just, everybody just gets up on stage. Everybody's in a black t-shirt. They play for 90 minutes and they barely say anything. Mm. I like it. I like it. Hey, so yeah. le- let me ask you a question specifically because i've never been to a metal concert so i'm curious like what was the vibe is it well let me just stop i'm I'm not gonna like try to answer your question like what was the vibe yeah so there were there were kind of two distinct areas at the venue which is the hammerstein mm-hmm. ballroom in new york city so you can buy floor tickets mm-hmm. and just be on the floor and mm-hmm. stand wherever you're going to stand. Or you can be in the balcony and have a chair. Mm. I'm old and I'm cheap. So I was in the balcony <laughs> sitting in a chair. Yeah. So so up there, I can say that you had mostly like people in their 30s. Just mm-hmm. kind of nodding along with a very like satisfied look on their faces. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, the floor didn't look too crazy. I mean, there was a mosh pit, but um, I could see the whole thing and, and it didn't look like too, too nuts. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I had some like very brief interactions with people around me and stuff. And it was like, it's like pretty chill, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, like the different crowds you get for different shows and like depending on when you go. And well, that venue is probably like, 5,000 people, maybe? Is it bigger than that? That sounds about right. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm sure you get all shapes and forms, and you know, with a show that big, um, in the best and probably worst case scenario. But uh, yeah, so I I thought that would be fun for us just to hear your experience of that because you know I've never gone to that. I'm I'm sure many of our listeners probably have never ventured into that uh, world. So, um, but your your clips from Instagram look pretty fun. So yeah, um, glad you and, had a good time. And I'll leave you with this one image. So yeah, like, yeah. so they're not like their music's very technical. They're just like gonna go up there and like you know, stand up there and play um, uh, and just be very like, just play a very tight set. Mm -hmm. um, so they probably stopped twice and the lead singer said a couple things. And what he said before the final song was, is everybody good? I see happy faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then this yeah. is our last song. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> so like that's, the, uh, some people like go to shows for kind of like the the uh you know the the theatrics and you know the celebrity of, the, of it all and yeah, yeah and like the the lead singer kind of whipping everybody into a frenzy and that's sure, just not sure. not how they are and and i appreciate about that about them sure sure well that sounds like uh you've had you had a good night and uh and maybe next time i will I go outside my comfort zone and 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 venture out with you uh, for another excursion because I think we are due for one pretty soon. Um, I don't want sure. to talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah, you know, something something fun to go do. Um, listen to some live music because man, there's nothing better. Any rate, our topic for tonight's uh, episode is a little bit different from Mashuga, but that's not a bad thing. Just something different, and we're going to be talking about. Um, the Sam Cooke album, Ain't That Good News, which was released in February of 1964. It was his final album. And um, before we get into talking about Sam Cooke and the music itself, I just want to have a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, and I, I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of this, but I just wanted to state it for the record. So you know, this was his last album because he was shot and killed in January of 1964. And the circumstances of his death are murky at best. And I'll leave it to our listeners to kind of dive into that as much or as little as they want to. But I just wanted to state that, you know, at the onset that it's not really clear what happened on that specific night. And there's a lot of details and things uh that you can look at but um you know tonight as we usually do we're just going to talk about the music and the artist and leave everything else to the side so i'm just going to leave it there and 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 just state that um before we get into it um but sam cook was you know he was a pretty influential singer um from that era and in my mind, you know, as we were getting into listening to him and and thinking about it, you know, I had heard of Sam Cooke. I didn't know his music so well. So I, that's why I chose this one to say, let's sit down and listen to one of his albums from the beginning to the end and really get a, a, a good a good glimpse of who he was as a, as a musician and a singer. And, um, you know, this one I felt was 
pretty easy and accessible to listen to. And it's really kind of an important moment, you know, in the early 60s where he's really bridging the gap from folks like Nat King Cole um, all the way to, you know, people like Otis Wilson or Aretha Franklin and things of that nature and really has that, you know, truly unique R&B soul sound. And, and it's just really a, an easy voice to listen to. Um, so I thought it was worth us taking a listen to him. And, and I thought this was a pretty good example of his talents. Um, Dan, before we get into any of the specifics, what, what are your impressions of this album? Um, yeah, well, uh, of course I've heard of Sam Cooke and in getting prepared for the episode, I had kind of forgotten how many Sam Cooke songs that I knew. Sure. Um, you know, if, if you just asked me off the cuff oh how many how many sam cook songs can you name you know i'd probably name like three or four or something like that but mm -hmm. then as you look through his discography i'm like oh i know like a dozen of these yeah, yeah yeah um and i i kind of had a tough time thinking of you know what i was going to say about this because First of all, I, I, right off the bat, I, I did like it, and I do think it's really um, well-crafted. Um, but it also felt like it was lacking a certain je ne sais quoi at first <laughs> um, that was really, like, roping me into it. But, again, you have to, like, think about the context in which something is being made. And as you pointed out, you know, he was a very influential figure in music. And, and when you think about, you know, that this came out in the early 60s, you have to think about what it was like to experience that music for the first time and the way that he was, you know, incorporating gospel and other black music traditions in, mm -hmm. into the mainstream, like the way that Ray Charles did and stuff like that. So when you think about it in in that context, it makes a lot more sense. But overall, it's just like really well-crafted, really easy to listen to. We'll get into this in a moment, but I feel like there's two, you know, transcendent all-time songs on this. Mm -hmm. And and you're right, like his his voice is, in, is incredibly just nice to listen to. Um, I mean, I know that's not a very descriptive adjective, but... It's it's just smooth and it has this like nice warmth to it. And, and as I was listening to it, I was also thinking about like, like I know this is Sam Cooke and I know what Sam Cooke sounds like, but this also sounds like somebody else. <laughs> and first I thought, oh, he kind of sounds like Marvin Gaye too. Yeah. yeah Marvin Gaye's yeah. voice is a little bit is a little bit edgier a little bit looser and kind mm -hmm. of like uh, unpredictable, I guess. And I also kind of think he sounds like uh, Bruno Mars. Mm. Well, if you took Sam Cooke's voice and then played it at like one and a half speed, sure. it would sound like Bruno sure. Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I never thought of it that way, but that that's like a very uh, interesting take on that. And I, I do think you're right. And the thing is about his voice, and I think this is a meaningful adjective, but maybe it's not for certain people, but it's like very authentic to him, right? He's not compromising mm-hmm. for anybody. He's like, this is my voice, this is what I sound like. This is like a elevated version of my speaking voice. And you get what you get and you don't get upset, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and um, I, I very much feel that way. You know, when we think about this album in totality and my research, because I was, I was struggling a little bit too with you about like the sequencing, because it does feel like mm-hmm. two distinct like sections. There's like the A side. And then I, as I was reading, somebody wrote, and I'm forgive me because I don't know who, who to credit this to, but it's not my original thought. It's like a, a Saturday night, Sunday morning album. It's like the mm-hmm. first half is like you're having cocktails, you're having like people over from your neighborhood. Cause I talked about a neighborhood party we had this yeah. past weekend. Yeah. You know, and it's just like music that puts you in a good mood. Maybe it's not like so meaningful, like with the lyric choices or whatever, but like nobody's going to get angry about you putting this on. Like it puts everybody in a good mood. And then the second half is like the Sunday morning. It's the ballads. It's, it gets a little bit uh, more contemplative and, um, and frankly, like the music, uh, you know, the arrangements are quite distinct, right? Cause it goes from like rhythm and blues to mm-hmm. something a little bit more orchestral and has that whole ballad feel. And once I read that, I was like, okay, like it's two different things that are put together. And that might've just been like a product of the time and how they, and the process of making music back then. Which is like, well, we gotta slam it all together. We're not gonna have like, <laughs> we're not gonna like. I I don't know what the technology was like back then, but it's like, uh, like, all right, we'll do all these these songs first, and then we'll hire new musicians, and we'll do these songs next, and then we'll just group put them together on the album, and it'll be fine. Um, right. <laughs> because I don't think there was a whole lot of this like real thought like we think of like when we were talking about like the Jay-Z album or other albums of, of more contemporary artists where it's like, oh no, they like they painstakingly think about the track sequencing about and how they put this whole thing together. I think, you know, in 1964, that's over 50 years ago where they're just like, yeah, man, let's just get this thing out in the world and we'll figure it out. Like people will figure it out. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful for you as you're thinking about it, but um tell me some of your favorite tracks well as i said i I feel like there's two yeah all-time songs on this album Mm -hmm. so you want to you want to talk about those first or you want to talk about the uh, deep cuts first no talk about those first because i don't think we agree on all of them so go ahead i mean so (laughs) (laughs) i think the I think the two all-time songs on this are Another Saturday Night Mm -hmm. and uh, A Change Is Gonna Come. Mm -hmm. Um, Another Saturday Night, I mean, that might be debatable, but I I think that's a really uh, catchy, clever lyric, Mm -hmm. and it's easy to sing along to, and it's like uh, 
it's a really memorable lyric and, and, and through the whole song, the lyrics are more like imagistic and, you know, painting a picture instead of just saying like, let the good times roll, which like, sure, yeah, it, which means something different to everybody, which means it kind of doesn't stand for anything at all. Um, so, you know, other than when he sings about like the blind date looking like Frankenstein, Frankenstein, you know, that's a bit <laughs> dated and a yeah, bit in, yeah. in poor taste. And also what the hell are you doing going out with your friend's sister? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, I have, I've kind of always enjoyed this song. Like, even when I was a kid, like, I remember this song from when I was a kid. Oh, my God, um, dude. You know what I thought when I listened to it? It was like, Big D 103. Yeah. We're, like, <laughs> yeah. riding in a station wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Our, our Uncle Joe would pick us up from from somewhere as a favor to our mother. And, like, yeah. we riding around a big brown station wagon. And I can... I would bet my life this song came on more than oh, yeah. once, <laughs> right? For sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I enjoy this version. I enjoy Cat Stevens' version as well. Um, but then a, a change is going to come. I mean, I think that's the best vocal performance on the album. Um, and he just he just hammers it home like the instant he opens his mouth, you know, just jumps right into his upper register, no ramp up at all. Like mm -hmm. the emotion is right there on the surface. This feels like it has a real personal connection to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of became, you know, a civil rights anthem as well, you know, with, you know, record company marketing kind of nonsense that he was probably dealing with given the time period i think he's lucky he got the song on the album for sure and it's stuff like this that you know paved the way for stuff like uh what's going on by marvin mm -hmm. gay mm -hmm. which came out like seven years later um yeah so um yeah so so it's just a really like raw uh, emotional song and it's a ballad, but it's kind, of, but it's not really pretty. And uh, yeah, and well, I, th I think it's just great. Well, I'll, I'll add to that because I think you're exactly right. And it is a ballad, but there is something about the pacing of it that, like, is propelling you forward, which mm -hmm. adds to the um, the way it resonates. Res resonates with people right because things are changing and that's i think that's uh you know that's progress and somehow they do that in a song that has a slower tempo which is mm -hmm. not easy to do it's not impossible but it's not easy and i right. thought they did it very effectively um and i mean i think that song to your point will continue to endure and, you know, again, it's, you know, a, for lack of a better descriptor, it's a pop song from, you know, almost 60 years ago. And I feel like people are going to continue to listen to it and connect with it for, you know, a lot more years. Um, mm -hmm. Another Saturday night, I think you're right in that it is catchy. And my, 
I, I agree with you on that point. I do agree with you on another point, but I would probably lean into it a little bit more than you do in that it's a bit dated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, that's one where I'm like, that one might fall by the wayside over time. I think it, it's, it's, it, it probably is our generation where it was still kind of a, a thing but I don't know if it's going to continue to be a thing for folks. Um, I think there are other songs in the Sam Cooke catalog that might get more recognition and, uh, and celebration than that one uh, going forward. But you can't, from a musical perspective, it, it does, it's hard to get it out of your mind. Cause that's one of the ones I was like, Oh my gosh, like when we started listening to this one for to prep for the episodes, like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that one sounds like. And that's kind of the point, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I and I get your point too, because I mean there's this I don't know, maybe maybe yet another person could redo it um and and make it more relevant. But there is this like spoken section where he's like talking about like you know, oh, I'm so lonely, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Well, and then there's this other section where he's like, man, if I was back where I came from instead of in this new town, I'd have like two chicks on my arm. And Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think... I think there's... I think there are definitely songs like that within contemporary music, but the fact that he's like saying it so plainly like for everyone to hear and it's not and the words aren't masked by production and like bass and stuff mm-hmm. like that that you, you really hear it and you're kind of like huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um, I think, and i think it's supposed to be humorous too but yeah you know. yeah well, what, one more I just want to mention, because I think you touched on the two big ones. Um, I really like Tennessee Waltz. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, though it is not a waltz, but that's okay. Um, but, like, that 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 one definitely, like, my ears perked up when I heard it. It's pretty catchy, and, like, it, it, it's a pretty fun song. Um, any other ones you want to mention that stood to you in a positive way? Sure. I, I think the opening track is is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a great energy to it. Um, it really took me by surprise, uh, just from the fact that there's a like there's a it starts with a like a banjo lick that sure. continues yeah, yeah. on through the song, um, and the song gets built up with a lot of different layers of of instrumentation and like dynamically it works really well and somehow they're able to like cram all of that into two and a half minutes Mm -hmm. um and um and also the i'm going to use the word cadence to not mean what we usually think it means but but like the 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 cadence of the of the words like the rhythm of the words sure in the uh, in the chorus, I thought was a little bit um, like su- kind of surprising. Sure. 
the, the way it all fits in. So I don't know. I think that one was a fun one. Yeah, I, I, I like that one, too. And that's like that's a great way to kick off an album. Like yeah. just get people excited about what you're about to do. You know, I mean, I mean, at at the top of the episode, we were talking about, you know, your experience of going to see live music. And like, I think when people create concerts, you know, and they're thinking about the set list, you know, you can't do come out with a ballad. Like you got to come, come out with something that's going to excite people, you know? Right. And um, I think it's similar thought process happens when you're constructing an album. And this one uh, definitely, uh, gets i would think would get most people pretty excited about what's going to happen next you know mm-hmm. so were there any tracks that we were like mm, it's not quite for me or any other nitpicks you want to throw in there yeah i mean i i definitely agree with you on the on the sequencing issues and how you've got like a back end that's like that's just all ballads yeah uh and ballads that are that weren't all that appealing to me no second time i kind of like that one but other than that they just they just weren't that memorable uh and then as far as a song a specific song like the the final track the riddle song (laughs) that is one of the worst songs i've ever heard in my life um yeah, I've 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 kind of been aware of that song without knowing it's called the riddle song because it opens with that famous line, you know, I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like all I could think of was the movie Animal House. Have you seen the movie Animal House? I'm sure I have. I don't remember it. All right. So there's this scene where there's a there's a folk musician. He's got all these girls around him. He's playing his acoustic guitar on the stairs, and he's playing this song. Mm-hmm. And then John Belushi comes down the stairs wearing a toga. Of course, he listens to the first few lines of the song, and he's like, got this. He's got like this look on his face, like something's about to happen. So after the first few lines of the song are sung, he grabs the folk singer's guitar and he smashes it against the wall. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's what we should all do with this song. How it survived from like the 16th century or whenever it was first written. Mm-hmm. I, well, because that's it's like the standard. I don't I don't know, because it's bad. Yeah, well. It's funny you should say that because it, it, even on the first listen, I was like, this is an odd song. <laughs> and then you look at it's like, who's the writer of this? It's traditional, which just means it's right. a folk song that people have, um, you know, sung for about hundreds of years, if not longer. And um, yeah, I tend to agree. I was like, what the hell is going on with that one? Um, another one that I was kind of like, uh, I, I don't know what's going on. And that was sitting in the sun and talking about money, which I was like, Irving, this is an Irving Berlin song because I, I want to give lack of credit where there's lack of credit (laughs) due. It's not Sam Cooke, it's Irving Berlin. And 
I was like, why would you like? I don't know. That one was that one was a swing and a miss for me, I guess. From yeah, that, that's from a musical big... sense, and from also like the lyrical point of view, it's like it's not saying anything profound or compelling, and the music is not that interesting. So like, let's just get rid of that one. And that's like not Sam Cooke's fault at all. I'm just saying, yeah. it just was there, and I was like, eh, I don't think we yeah. need it. Yeah, that's a real head scratcher. Um, and I think, I think what he's saying is, like he's he's talking about counting his money, but he's also saying like the real um, the real wealth or the real value, value in this world yeah. is nature, because like the, he's he's like my money is the green on the trees, and yeah. like the moon is a silver dollar or whatever, and uh, I'm like. Yeah, okay. It's a tortured metaphor, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I think we agree on that one. Um, Any any other, like, little things you just want to mention before we we, um, close out this one? Um, Yeah, I mean, just the... You know, the first half of the album is just so much fun. And mm-hmm. the second half is just kind of a buzzkill for the most part. <laughs> um, but yeah, all those, now that I'm like really thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? All of those poppier, more upbeat songs in the in the first half are all, I mean, they're all pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're all they're all kind of successful in their own in their own way you know rome wasn't built in a day that's a good one and, good times uh, yeah good times sure yeah i i really wish we could find somebody or if any of our listeners know like why they you know why they put the album together the way they did that that would be really interesting to know because i can't think of a good reason why you would do that but overall, I mean, it kind of showcases, you know, why Sam Cooke was so uh, was so revered and why he's been so influential on on so many people. And you know, he was a charter charter member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for whatever that's worth. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's a well deserved honor. Yeah, I mean, he had Makes such sense. an he had such an easy easy voice and i mean when i think about singing and i've i mean trust me dude i've thought a lot about singing (laughs) for sure it's really a like a it should be a pure expression of emotion in whatever form that takes right right and i feel like the the artists and the singers that i connect to most really somehow figured out a way to do that and they didn't mm-hmm. let anybody fuck it up for them like they're just like right. this is me expressing expressing the way i feel about this particular topic or subject or whatever story that i'm trying to tell and i put sam cook in that class like i yeah. really do and because he was uh you know a really a magnificent performer and just had a beautiful voice and 
Um, I thought it was worth celebrating him by listening to this album, and hopefully our listeners will listen to it too. And you know what? It's fine if you need to, you know, skip a couple tracks on this one. But like, I, I thought it was worth paying attention to him because he did have a real influence on, you know, music generally and the way that he, uh, the way that he be, he was portraying his artistry, I think is something that we should pay attention to. Yeah. So, and, and you mentioned a couple times about him having an easy voice and we, I think we mentioned that type of quality when we were talking about Nat King Cole mm-hmm. and maybe a couple of other artists that we've talked about on the show. And when you when you listen to artists from this era, like late 50s, early 60s, it was all about like the ease and the pleasantness of the of mm-hmm. singing. And I think like over the past, say, 25 30 years maybe even longer it's been about um stretching your voice to it's to its absolute limits Mm -hmm. and not only that but also making it sound difficult in the process right like that's a part of the aesthetic yeah 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 uh uh, of what a pe- people appreciate about the voice. And I, and I mean, there's a time and place for there to be, you know, some like harsher tone quality or like grit in a person's voice when they're like stretching for high notes and stuff like that. I, I like how that sounds too. But I just keep wondering when, when the tide is going to turn because it always does. Sure, sure. You know, people yeah. always like swing back um the the other way in order to you know stand out or be different or they're just tired of hearing the same stuff all the time Mm -hmm. so um i wonder when people are gonna switch back to that apparently we only have room for one and it's michael buble (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i i I don't mind his voice but like if i can make one final editorial comment about what you just said is that you are right in that people want to stretch things to the extreme. And if it's in the service of like real, um, real emotion and storytelling, then like, I think that serves its purpose, but also there is a time and a place for like beauty and e- beauty and ease. And I feel like we've lost that to a certain extent mm-hmm. in a lot of popular music, at least. Um, so I'm hoping somebody will come along <laughs> and, and uh, reinvigorate that sort of style of, of communicating through music. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Jens Kidsman from Meshuggah, he ain't the one. To, yeah, to help, you, well, to help you get there <laughs> it's fine he's probably on the he's probably on the emotional side and i think like yeah that sort of mer- music serves a purpose right when you're yeah. like really at, at the extremes of that 
kind of feeling like that kind of music could be very compelling to you and that's a good thing you know to have that right. so with that i think uh i think we've done it and i think we have a special episode that's coming up next is that right that is correct so we are mm. going to transition from sam cook to Sawen, aka halloween this is halloween this is halloween <laughs> oh man Maybe maybe I need to do a like a special side episode about how much I hate the nightmare before Christmas. <laughs> anyway, so, sorry, I'm gonna stop. Um, it is going to be our first Halloween special. And Ooh, spooky, creepy. Yes, we're going to be we're going to be discussing songs that are mysterious, creepy, ominous, or just mm-hmm. plain scary. That's right. Um, so each of us have made some made some selections, and I think it's going to be fun because it's going to be a a genre busting sort of episode where we talk about things from uh, a lot of different places that kind of give you that eerie feeling. Um, so please join us for that. Um, make sure you follow us on Instagram so you can yeah, see we constant adventures. Post, yeah, because we should probably post some of those tracks prior to the episode, because it is not an easy uh, find for some of our choices, I think. Ah, yes, maybe we should do that. All right. Well, we hope, we hope you will join us regardless, and thanks again for listening. Ciao, ciao. Brothers in Song is written and produced by Joseph Collin and Daniel Collin, and edited by Daniel Collin. To keep up with the latest news, follow us on Instagram at Brothers in Song. Until next time, listen to some new music. You just may surprise yourself. <laughs>